So I'm reading Joshua chapter 4. You'll find it on page 218, 218 of the church's Bibles. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God, into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now the priests who carried the Ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the Ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle, in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant law to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan 
what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I noticed that there's a few people who uh, haven't been here over the last few weeks, so I'll catch you up to speed with where we've been. So we started, Joshua is handed the Bible up to his point. So he receives Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy and is told this is the Word of God, write it down, keep it written and keep faithful to it when you go into the Promised Land as the nation that God has created you to be. Moses dies, Joshua is tasked with moving the people uh, from outside the Promised Land across the Jordan into the Promised Land and as uh, they go to do that, the river stops and it it completely uh, stops and the Israelites are able to walk across on dry ground, showing that God did something miraculous that made it possible when there didn't seem to be a way. The river was flooding, it was impossible for the Israelites to cross, but God made a way. We heard in our reading today, it says that 40,000, just the fighting men from two and a half tribes. So there's an estimate that 600,000 have to cross with cattle and a whole lot of other things that they're carrying across. And as they go across here today, they see the dry ground that they're walking across under the, uh, where the river would have been and there's stones there. And Joshua says to each representative of the tribe, pick up a stone because that will be a memorial for us going into the future. And that's the story that we've heard today. So today really, in some regards, is about this memorial. It's a memorial that is meant to remind them of who God is. This memorial is to remind them of the unity that they have. This memorial is not meant to remind them of this particular event in itself, but that God made a way when there didn't seem to be a way. Now, we think about memorials in our day, we probably have a different concept of memorial. Now, to be fair, at the time the Israelites are taking over this land, the Canaanites and the Amorites and all the other tribes that lived in that area had particular gods, particular superstitions about things, and there was a a concept that uh, little gods lived in in particular parts of the land. So when the Israelites, God stops the flowing of the River Jordan, the Canaanites would have thought, this God of the Israelites has power over our God of fertility that lives in the river. The Israelites are moving into a polytheistic uh, environment where there are lots of different superstitions, lots of different things. 
And they're saying that this memorial will remind them of their God. So if we think about memorials in our day, we could probably look around our church and we can see on our walls some memorials to some people who were important or or contributed to the life of this church. But we also know, don't we, that we live in a pluralistic society and there are different worldviews at play in our world today. So if you were to walk down the street and you were going down to the MCG and you were to wander around the MCG, what would you see in bronzed around the MCG? You would see some people who have contributed to sport that are immortalised in bronze. This idea that somehow if we create a bronze statue, it'll keep the memory of them alive. There's a, 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 there was a quite a quick rush to do a memorial for Shane Warne after his, his death. There's this sense, partly people don't understand that it actually comes from an ancient uh, sort of religious viewpoint People think they're being secular, but it's actually a religious viewpoint that says that we're all part of this uh, cosmos of memory and we have to keep memory alive in order to keep somebody alive. That's what's at play in our world and the Israelites would have encountered some of that when they cross over into uh, the area around Jericho. But I don't know whether you've uh, seen, and we're watching a TV show at the moment, and there's a little caption at the start uh, of the TV show uh, warning Aboriginal people that there will be images of deceased persons in this show. I don't know whether you've ever seen that. Now, I thought that was due to respect for Aboriginal people, but I didn't quite understand it, so I Googled it and looked it up. And there is actually a religious perspective amongst Aboriginal people that their ancestors go to rest in their ancestral lands and therefore if someone was to show an image of them it would actually disturb them out of their ancestral lands and bring them back into the reality and so some Aboriginal people don't want to see their ancestors because it would wake them up and bring them back into being. So there's different senses of memorial at place in our world and there's different senses of memorial at the time that this passage is written. So what is Joshua trying to do with this memorial? What is God trying to do with this memorial? Well, I think as we would hear some of the different views of uh, contemporary ways of keeping people alive and and memorials, I think we would know that the, the plaques on our walls aren't to keep those people alive. We know that they're in eternity with their Heavenly Father. And so the memorials that we put on our walls are to tell of God's glory to remind us of how people have served God. Like the the sisters that are over there, the Clark sisters who are over there on that wall, uh, and, and their memorial 
tells of their service preaching the gospel. And so it's not about trying to keep them alive, it's trying to encourage us that in our day, we would preach the gospel too. So a Christian understanding of memorial is not to keep the person alive, but to point to the glory of God. And so this memorial, these 12 stones, are partly to remember the event. They they are to remember the event, but they're to remember what God did at this event. It's not about how good are we because we made a way across a flooding river. No, the stones come from a place that was impossible for them to get the stones. Remember, they're not sort of got the diving apparatus to get stones from the bottom of a river like we would have today. There was no way for them to collect these stones unless God had stopped the river. God stops the river they are able to walk across on dry ground, they're able to pick these stones up and hold these stones of a, of a memorial of a day where God performed a miracle, where God did something that wasn't possible. And I think we can see that it's a miracle and, and those who might be sceptical and say, well, actually, maybe somewhere up the stream, you know, there was a rock fall and that blocked the river... Well, this scripture goes to tell us that the minute that they walked out of the river, the river started flowing again. That doesn't happen from some natural phenomena up the river. This is a miracle. And so this memorial is to remind them that God is great. God is greater than the fertility God of the Canaanites that supposedly lived in the river because their God controlled that river. God is greater than any other God that inhabits a particular land because their God has been through all of these territories and they've been victorious in all of these territories. Their God is greater than any other uh, uh, weather God because their God creates the heavens and the earth and controls the heavens and the earth. This memorial of 12 stones is to remind the Israelites that their God is the greatest and over all things. But the interesting thing is that these 12 stones are placed in a memorial at a place called Gilgal. If we read the rest of the Old Testament, we know that not only do the ancient Israelites walk away from God, but they start practising idolatry to some of these lesser gods that inhabited this area. And it gets even worse because in Gilgal, they worship other gods. This memorial reminds us today that the people of the Old Testament had this cycle of coming into relationship with God, falling out of relationship with God, coming into relationship with God and falling out of relationship with God and they needed a saviour. But I'll get to the saviour in a moment. Because the second thing about this memorial is that this memorial was actually to point to a sense of unity. There's 12 tribes of Israel and the, the 12 tribes, 11 of them are going to have land and parcels of land in the promised land. Two and a half tribes are over this side, 
they're going to have land and the, the, 11th, uh, the 12th tribe is going to be the priests for the whole nation. So the 12 tribes are meant to come unified together out of Egypt, through the desert, into the promised land and they're meant to be a nation together. And this memorial is meant to remind them of that. So later generations, when they look at these 12 stones and, and they're going to remember 12 stones, oh, there must be 12 tribes of Israel. This must have been when our people were unified as a nation. Joshua wants to remind the people that they crossed the river together. They crossed the river as a unified nation. And as they move into their own territories and they set up their own uh, lands for their own tribes... They're to be reminded that they're not 12 nations, but they're one nation under God. That's what the memorial is also supposed to do. Remind them of a great day when God performed a miracle, but also that they're one nation under God. But again, if we read the rest of the Old Testament, we know that these tribes start fighting with one another. In fact, at some point in Old Testament history these 12 tribes divide into two separate nations and those two nations go to war with one another. The memorial was supposed to remind them of how great God is and they worship other gods. This memorial was meant to remind them that they're one nation under God and yet they split into several nations and it's human disunity that splits the people apart. So the people were needing something that would draw them back to God once and forever. And this is where the concept of Messiah comes in. Because God promised that there would be one person who would unify all people under God and would make a way where they would be in right relationship with God forever. And that person is Jesus. Jesus comes at a time where there's this cycle of uh, being out of favour with God and needing to return to God, the religious leaders of the day are not paying attention to what they're supposed to do, which is looking for the Messiah, but they're worried about appeasing the Roman occupiers. This cycle that was meant to set them up as a nation has broken down and they're in need of rescue. And Jesus comes along as that person who will rescue them, the promised Messiah. And so, we don't need these 12 stones anymore. We don't need to look at the 12 stones. Maybe this story might remind us of something, but it should remind us of the cross. You see, Jesus comes along and He rescues us through His life, death and resurrection and ascension which is the story told on our stained glass up the back and it's symbolised by things like this. You see, in that story, the generations were supposed to say, parents, tell us about these 12 stones, what did they mean? And we are to look on the cross and future generations are supposed to ask us, what's this cross that's a symbol for you? But if you know your Christian history, you know that this is just a symbol that points us to who Jesus is. This cross is just a piece of metal, it doesn't have any magic to it, this is not some kind of thing that 
we could hold and it would be like a good luck charm or somehow it's got some superstition around it. Remember, in the time of persecution, the Christians didn't use this symbol to remind them of Jesus. Some Christians actually used an anchor because the authorities got wind that this symbol was a sign for being a Christian. So they used an anchor because God was the anchor of their life. Other Christians actually used the fish and the fish became the symbol of Christianity. It doesn't matter whether it's a fish or an ankle, an anchor or a cross, all of these are meant to point us to Jesus. They're meant to remind us of who Jesus is. They're meant to show us that God is greater than all things and that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, Jesus is able to make a way when we can't see a way. But I think the reason we need to remember these 12 stone memorial is because just as they lost their way, sometimes I think Christians have lost their way. I think a strong focus on atonement theology taught by evangelicals, it can give the impression that the cross is the only thing that happens, that the events of Good Friday are the only thing that matters. But when St. Paul talks about he teaches nothing but Christ crucified and the cross, it's actually shorthand for the whole story of the life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus. We shouldn't just focus on atonement theology, we should focus on kingdom theology. The cross is a symbol of Jesus and how Jesus came to usher in God's kingdom. The cross is also a symbol of the miracles and the healings and therefore we can pray to Jesus for miracles and healings in our life. It's also a a symbol of his sacrificial death on the cross and so atonement theology is important and we shouldn't forget it. But the cross, particularly in Protestant churches where the cross is empty, there is no body on the cross because it reminds us of the resurrection, the resurrection on the third day where if Jesus never rose from the dead, there is no point to the cross at all. In fact, a better symbol might have even been for a tomb, but I suppose a tomb, empty tomb, was hard to portray in art and a cross was much easier in art. The ascension as portrayed on the top of our window behind me is also important symbol because it reminds us that Jesus reigns as victorious King. So it doesn't matter what the symbol is. It could be a cross. It could be the the throne on which Jesus sits. It could be the crown of thorns. It could be a fish. It could be an anchor. It could be any one of the images of Jesus in our stained glass windows. But these images are to remind us that Jesus made a way when there didn't seem to be a way. And so, if you yourself, or you know somebody who's going through something challenging, and it looks impossible, and and you or somebody you know feels isolated, they feel alone, they feel like they're going through something together and they just wish they had some assurance that somebody loved them. 
then the cross is the symbol of that. The empty tomb is the symbol of that. Jesus sitting in victorious on the throne is the symbol of that. And we're to remind ourselves or to remind one of our friends, our family who feels alone and isolated that they're not alone, that there is a God who loves them. And just as the Israelites were meant to remember the day where God performed a miracle, people are to know that God can perform a miracle in your life. God can perform a miracle in the lives of those around you. We need these symbols. We're no better than the ancient Israelites. We will drift without these symbols. But the symbols remind us of Jesus. They're not magic in and of themselves. They're not meant to be the focus of our worship. This is just bronze or brass or whatever it is. I'm not a metallurgist. We could... We could throw this in the bin and Jesus is still alive. We've got to make sure that we're not superstitious like the Canaanites were. But we do have to remind ourselves that the ancient Israelites had something that reminded them or should have reminded them of God and they lost their way. Let's not be a generation that loses its way. I want to finish with a story that happened this week. So we've been praying on Saturday mornings and um, Liz, months ago, had this image come to her and bravely shared it with us of a day would come when this place was full. And she actually said it wasn't just full but there were people lining up. And as we've been thinking about that and praying about that, it just seems like an impossible task. How could that ever happen? I don't know how that could happen. I'm not that good a minister that I can drum up several hundred people to come to church here. The only way that was going to happen is if God did something. And so, I've also been talking to some of the ministers in this area and some of us here have been talking about it. How do we reach the university students across the road? It just seems like an impossible task. The days of going and sitting in the chaplaincy office and waiting for students to come and talk to the chaplain are long gone. So I can't just go over and sit in the chaplaincy office or just sit here and wait for the students to come and talk to me. It's not going to happen. But it just seemed God was stirring something up because there just seemed to be a whole lot of conversations in this last fortnight about Swinburne and it just seemed, what was God doing and what was God at work? And so on Thursday, I was in the office with Lisa Day and I got a call from the head of the student union and they've got an event this coming Monday night and there's going to be anywhere from 200 to 400 students and their venue was double booked and they don't have a venue. He parks his car in our car park and he says, I walk past a hall every day when I go to work. I wonder if they would let us use the hall. He called me up and I, I, <laughs> I said, you can't fit 400 in our hall, it doesn't, doesn't work. And I called up Ian because Ian's always a reassurance of... Um, 
saying yes to things because he loves to say yes to things. And I said, can we make 400 people in our hall work? And he said, absolutely. So we're going to have 400 people coming to our hall on Monday night to have a social event that we don't have to run, we don't have to pay for, we just have to welcome them into our space. I don't know about you, because maybe I've been thinking about this since Thursday, but it's like this flooding river that didn't seem to be a way for us to cross the street into Swinburne, and God has parted and made a way for them to come across to us. On Thursday, I also got an email from the Orthodox Christian Student Association at Swinburne, and they said, look, we're looking for space. Could we use some of your space for some of our activities? God is making a way when there doesn't seem to be a way. I hope that gives you encouragement for some area in your life where it might seem there isn't a way possible to move forward. But God is moving. He's not dead. He's not distant. He's not absent. He's alive and active in our world. And I hope when you look at the cross or you look at Jesus sitting on the throne, even Jesus waving the flag of victory in our resurrection window, when you look at any of these, I hope it reminds you that God is alive and at work. Gracious God, we praise and thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. And Lord, when we don't see a way forward, Lord, we put our trust in you, we put our faith in you and what Jesus has accomplished for us through his life, death, resurrection and ascension. And we trust in you. We thank you. We praise you. And we say, come Holy Spirit. And we make these prayers in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.